All right, grab your Bible this morning, open it to Luke chapter 19. I'd like us to talk this morning about something that I believe is very important and took place in the life of Jesus. Uh, really, that whole week between what we consider Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, lots of stuff happened in this week, by the way. Today is a traditional Sunday that we call Palm Sunday. We call it that because it's the Sunday that we celebrate that moment on Friday, really, that Jesus entered Jerusalem as a king. They laid their coats down and palm branches down and ushered him in publicly as their king. We'll talk about that some more. And so it's something that we just typically celebrate on this Sunday. This Sunday also signifies uh, the beginning of Holy Week. This week of preparation as we prepare our hearts and our minds to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We call it Holy Week because it's the most important week on our calendar. We've set it apart. We've made it holy. It's not like any other week. And I want to encourage you not to make this next week like any other week of your life. Don't just do the same old thing that you normally do this week. Change your week up. And add Jesus to your week in all kinds of creative and new ways. Come to the prayer experience. Find some time to read, uh, I would say in particular, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John has most of the information and the teaching and life of Jesus between uh, Palm Sunday and his death and resurrection. I would encourage you highly to read that section of, of Scripture and just find yourself soaked up into the important lessons that Jesus taught during this time. This week is also to rem remind us and celebrate uh, what Jesus did with what we just celebrated, and that is communion. Jesus had his last supper with the disciples, started a new covenant in his blood that the way you and I would receive forgiveness from that point on is not by following a law or making the sacrifice of an animal, but that Jesus would become the sacrifice for us. But most importantly, this week is holy because we celebrate what D Jesus did for us on the cross and the resurrection. And so I want to encourage you, don't let this week be a normal week. Make it separate. Break your routine and do something different with Jesus. I'd like us to ask a question this morning that is pertinent to Holy Week, to Easter, and it's a question that many people during this week of Jesus' life were grappling with. They were thinking about. This concept was rolling around in their mind and in their heart. And everybody in the nation was interacting with this question. Is Jesus my king? So I'm going to ask you this morning, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? Because we're going to see that all of the community was thinking about Jesus as their king. But let's start with what that means. What does that mean to have someone as your king? There are biblical ideas of it, but there are also general ideas of it. It, it simply means that that person is your leader. That you've chosen to make that person your leader. And it was your choice. If, if this person is your king, not the king that was forced upon you, but he's your king, and you've made the decision to make him your king, then he is your leader. You will serve that person, obey them, honor them, even fight for them. You would give money to the king so that he could use it to 
uh, spread that wealth throughout the kingdom. At least that's your hope. It means that you will put the king above yourself and your desires. Now, throughout the ages, throughout history, what history tells us is there were good kings and there were bad kings, right? And sometimes the king would die and the queen would take over. And there were good queens and there were bad queens. But the, pur the purpose or what people were always looking for and what we're looking for too is a righteous leader. Some that, someone that will lead well, take care of us, protect us, provide well, manage the kingdom well. That's what our hope is. But history teaches us that doesn't always happen. Sometimes the kingdom's managed well. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes the leader lets all of their human desires and when those are left unchecked, problems happen. As a result, throughout history, and even today, we see that our leaders are somewhere between lackluster to abusive. What our hope is, is for a great king that would restore all of that. Now, as Americans, this idea of a king is interesting because it's not a part of our culture. It's not a part of our psyche. It's not a part of, of what we normally think about. Let me process this with us just for a second. America was established because why? We didn't want a king anymore. We didn't want a king to improperly tax us. So we decided we want a president to improperly tax us. <laughs> oh, I must have said that out loud. I didn't mean to. Now, don't be fooled. America has a king. Now, that answer is a loaded one, isn't it? It's loaded with all kinds of political jargon and all kinds of cultural ramifications. Let me leave the political stuff for Fox News and CNN and whoever else, because they do a really good job of arguing about it constantly and getting nowhere. Let's talk about the cultural side for a moment. Culturally, in America, we live in the land of the home, free and the home of the brave, amen? Aren't you glad you live here? Yes. You should be, because you live in the best place in the world. Doesn't mean we don't have our cons, but we have all the pros, amen? But culturally in America, because we are free, we can let anything rule us. Anything. Because we are personally free. Therefore, if anything can rule us, that means we have hundreds of kings. And we all have our own. We have our own personal kings, and we have our own judicial kings, but we have lots of kings. They're everywhere, and they rule our lives. We call them sports, <laughs> hobbies, work, kids, entertainment, pleasure, food, material things, philosophies, governments. This is the short list. But in America, because we are free, we get to let anything be our king. And then there's the king that we love the most, our favorite king, is who? Me. That's right. The favorite king in America is me. I'm king. I get to decide. I get to choose. Now, like some of you said, I hope you're choosing to make Jesus your king. Amen? Amen. That's what we all should choose because God is good and he's a righteous king. When we study the Bible and we investigate this week of Jesus' life like I'd like us to do this morning, and we're going to kind of blaze through it because I've only got 24 minutes and 22 seconds left. 
We're going to blaze through some verses. We're going to start in Luke chapter 19, so you can get there if you'd like right now. We're going to investigate this week of Jesus' life, and here's what we're going to see. This question keeps coming up. This question keeps coming up. Is Jesus my king? And now I'm going to look at three people in particular, three different groups of people in one individual. So two, two groups of people, one individual. The groups of people are the crowds and the disciples. I'm going to lump them together because they're similar. And then there's the religious leaders. And then there's Pilate. These three individuals and crowds of people and groups of people help us understand what it means to make Jesus your king. They also help us see what it means to make Jesus our king. What are we really saying? What should we be saying? All throughout the four Gospels, we notice people interacting with this idea of Jesus as king. Now follow me in Luke chapter 19. In Luke 19, the Bible records this moment in history, and this is a factual account of Jesus' life. Verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And they, as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Now, just a quick little note. This was good for me. In the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, they record that they brought it back. I just think that's important. <laughs> Verse 35. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they have seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And then this amazing verse, verse 40. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I almost put the stones as someone who declared Jesus as king. But let me warn you, don't ever let yourself get to a place where a rock takes your place. Did you get that? That we could actually put ourselves mentally, spiritually, and physically in a place where a rock is smarter than we are. That's not good. But Jesus is also saying, if the human creation does not acknowledge me as creator and king, the other part of creation will. Because they know the truth even better than we do sometimes. So let's not let a rock do what we should do. Amen? Amen. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because 
you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, just a historical fact, this actually took place about 40 years later in 70 AD when the Romans decided to pull out of Jerusalem, but as they pulled out, they destroyed Jerusalem and leveled it to the ground. Verse 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So the first group of people we see right here in Luke chapter 19 are the crowd, the disciples. We could also call them the groupies. These are the groupies. These are the people that have followed Jesus around. These are the people that have interacted with Jesus personally over the past three years. And here they are loudly and publicly declaring Jesus as their king. They are doing it with common historical and religious language to declare Jesus as the king of the Jews and the Messiah. They were saying things like, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. Now all these phrases have roots in the past. When a king or a new king was established and brought into Jerusalem to sit on the throne, these were terms that were used. But more importantly, these phrases in particular, like Hosanna to the son of David, the king who comes in the name of the Lord, these phrases are prophetic in nature. They also declare hope that one day their greatest king would come into Jerusalem and he would be the Messiah. He would be the greatest king and he would restore Israel to freedom. Now, did Jesus restore freedom to Israel? Yes, he did, just not in the way they wanted. See, you can have freedom in all kinds of ways. Like they wanted freedom from the Romans, but God knew what we really needed freedom from and that was from our sin. Because our sin is way more devastating than anything man can possibly do to us. In fact, what man can do to us is only temporary. But what sin can do to us is eternal. And so Jesus came to free us from our sin, to, to give us right relationship with God the Father. And that was so much more important than just making the Romans go away. Now the crowd and the disciples, I believe they have the greatest reason to want Jesus as king. They have the most reason to want Jesus to be king because they've spent three years watching him, listening to him. And so here we have thousands of people that are following Jesus around. Everywhere he goes to have a concert, they're there, bringing the equipment in, hanging out, cheering loudly for him. Because these individuals have been eyewitnesses to his healings, to him raising the dead, casting out demons, walking on water, calming storms, feeding 5,000 people with two loaves of bread and five fish and some people's favorite miracle, turning water to wine. It's okay to laugh at 9.40 in the morning. Go ahead, it's all right. They are the ones that watch Jesus treat people with kindness and grace and forgiveness, acceptance and love. 
They were the ones that saw this every day, all the time. They heard his teaching. They listened with amazement at his skill and depth of knowledge. And that teaching was touching their lives and their hearts as they began to understand God the Father in a whole new way. See, it makes perfect sense that they would desire Jesus to be the Messiah, the great King. After all, they've watched Jesus solve every single cultural problem. They've watched him solve every single issue. And if the city is hungry, you can just bring him your lunch and he can feed everybody in town. I mean, this is a pretty smart idea to make this guy your king. So they publicly and privately are declaring, we want Jesus to be king. The second group of people that are grappling with this idea of Jesus as king are the religious leaders. Now, they have a totally different concept. We recognize what they desire. Let me show you a couple of verses that show what they are thinking about Jesus. In John 12, verse 37, it says this, Even after Jesus had performed so many signs, and then this phrase, in their presence, they still would not believe in him. I always find it extraordinary, the miraculous. I find the miraculous extraordinary. But what I also find extraordinary is the difference of opinion over it. Like in this, we see that the religious leaders want to kill Jesus, and they have seen the exact same miracle that the crowds have seen and said, this is awesome. So when Jesus heals someone on the Sabbath who's been crippled from birth, and now they can run around and jump and play, the religious leaders say what? That's awful. That's horrible. Why would you do such a horrible thing on the Sabbath? And the regular person, let's call him common sense guy, he says, that is awesome. That was cool that Jesus raised that person from the dead or, or healed them. And the religious leaders say, that's horrible. We should kill that guy. Now, does that make any sense? Not at all. But do you notice the difference? When your mind is warped, you'll let anything confuse you. And that's what we see with the religious leaders. In John chapter 19, verse 15, it says, Pilate asked, shall I crucify your king? And they replied, we have no king but Caesar. They've declared their ideas privately and now publicly. Now, there are several reasons why the religious leaders don't want Jesus to be their king. And I think they are very similar to why people don't want Jesus to be king today. Look with me for a moment about why the religious leaders didn't want Jesus to be their king. First of all, Jesus was disrupting their lives. See, they liked the way things were going. They liked the way they were living their life. And Jesus was disrupting their life. You'll remember the only people that Jesus called out on their stuff was the religious leaders. The ones that claimed they knew God, but Jesus said, you don't know God at all. You're not following him well at all. In fact, you're not representing the God, God the Father at all. And that's why Jesus spent so much time teaching from the Old Testament, 
to remind us what God really meant and what God was really saying in everything that he wrote because the religious leaders were manipulating it. They liked their life. They didn't want it to change, even if it was for a good reason. And we hear that even today. When we talk to someone about Jesus, we might hear a response like, I, I like my life. I don't, I don't want to change. You, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. We're good. Another reason the religious leaders didn't want Jesus to be king was because they liked the power they had. Religious leaders had a lot of power. And they manipulated people with that power. That power made them popular. Their power allowed them to do whatever they wanted. Sometimes they did righteous things, most of the time unrighteous. And the same is true in America. Do you think there's a possibility that in America we live however we want? We do. And the power that we have in that personal right, in that personal privilege as an American says, gives us the right to choose, I don't want to live that way or I want to live that way. Which leads right into the next thing. They liked the wealth that they were accumulating. The religious leaders had accumulated a lot of wealth. When I was in Jerusalem more than 20 years ago, there's an excavated site that you can go to of a common priest's home. And it's 6,000 square foot home. That's huge today in America. That's almost three times the size of my house. 6,000 square foot home. They were making a lot of money. And they didn't want that to go away. And Jesus comes along. And what's the first thing he does when he gets into Jerusalem? He goes into the temple. And what does he do? He turns over the table of the money changers. And what's Jesus saying? That our relationship with God is not to gain more money. And the religious leaders had allowed their wealth to manipulate everything in their hearts and their minds. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible that the wealth in the United States has changed the way we think? Yes, it has. In fact, I believe because of our wealth, we often ignore God altogether because we think we can do it all on our own. They were using religion to make money, and Jesus was not happy about that. Unfortunately, we can see the same thing often today where religious leaders use God as gain for themselves instead of to serve their community. And so to follow Jesus becomes hypocritical instead of a good thing to do. That's why it's so important for us to change the thinking of our culture by the way we live and talk. The last thing I see about the religious leaders is they liked what I would call the new religion that they had created. See, the religious leaders were neither living out the true Old Testament that God had asked them to. They were now living out a new religion that they had created in their own minds. The religious leaders were using their own religion now to manipulate people and to manipulate themselves. They allowed 
this, this new way of thinking allowed them to live in their sin and justify or spin whatever they wanted to to make them look godly. And the oldest trick in the book today, the oldest trick of our enemy is to spin something, isn't it? The enemy ever spins something in your mind? He hasn't mine. Man, he just loves to spin, doesn't he? And he'll spin an idea about God, a command of God, an idea we find in God's word, and he'll just get us to manipulate it in our mind and justify it in our own thoughts. And before we know it, we're not obeying God's word and we think we're doing the right thing. And the whole time the enemy has just spun something new in us that actually takes us the opposite direction of where God wants us to go. And Jesus is confronting that. I believe there's a lot of that new religion happening today. We had a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of some humanism, a little bit of Buddhism, throwing a little Oprah, and we've got American Christianity. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what we do. And in that concept, the enemy gets to spin a web. And you and I don't even realize it, but we're not even living for Christ at all. He's not our king. We're following whatever we fancy. This is why it's so important to know God's word and have it hidden in your heart. Now, the last person interacting with the idea of Jesus being king is Pilate. I chose Pilate because there's such a marvelous interaction with Jesus here in the life of Pilate. As we head towards Friday and Jesus' death, <clears throat> Pilate has this amazing interaction with Jesus. It's a private one and it's a public one. Let's look at it together and see a great way for you and I to come to know Jesus Christ as our King. Now here's what's interesting. Let me start with this. Pilate, Pilate is not Jewish. We're not 100% sure of his heritage outside of Judaism, but here's what we do know. He's not Jewish. He's much more Roman than he is Jewish. He's the leader that is called to live in Jerusalem and keep the city under control, the region under control, because the most hostile region in the Roman Empire is Palestine. Isn't that weird? I don't know why Palestine has so much hostility. It doesn't today. <laughs> so Pilate's not, uh, he wasn't raised in Judaism. He didn't grow up as a little boy knowing the Old Testament. He probably knows a little bit of the Old Testament now that he's been living in Jerusalem and just trying to be a good leader. He probably knows a little bit about it, but not a lot. He certainly doesn't know at all what it means to live for God. And Jesus is brought before Pilate in, a, in an attempt to crucify him. The Jewish leaders know that they don't have authority to crucify someone. It's not their right or authority. It's only Pilate's. The argument that they use for Pilate to crucify Jesus is that he thinks 
he's a king when he's not. But follow a couple verses with me. The first thing that Pilate does is he finds no basis for charges against Jesus. In Luke 23, 1 through 4, it says the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. Did Jesus oppose payment of taxes to Caesar? No, that's a lie. It's a complete fabrication. What did Jesus say? Give to, God, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. It's a pure lie. Verse 3. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for charges against this man. Then Pilate gets an opportunity in John chapter 19 to have a private conversation with Jesus. This private conversation is really interesting. Look at it with me. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, now this is important, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Now follow me. The Jews had no authority to crucify somebody, but what did Pilate just do? He gave them the authority to do it. And they say what? No, we don't want to do it. We want you to do it. And they go on. Verse 7. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Look at verse 8. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Now follow me, because this is astounding. This is like, what? The non-religious guy is afraid to touch Jesus. The non-believer. The religious people are, oh, they're totally willing to kill somebody. <laughs> but the non-religious guy is afraid now. He's like, whoa, I shouldn't touch that authority. I don't want to mess with that. Verse 9, and he went back inside the palace. Where did you come from, he asked Jesus. So Jesus and Pilate are now in this private conversation. And Jesus gave him no answer. Verse 10, do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. In other words, who's in control here? Jesus is. Jesus is saying, you're not in control. The religious leaders aren't in control. I'm in control. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus is going to freely lay down his life. Let me show you how he freely lays down his life even more. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Now follow me. Pilate's trying to set Jesus free. The religious leaders want to kill him, but they don't have the authority to, so they want Pilate to, but Pilate's trying to set him free. And so 
the leaders that are here, the authority that is here, is trying at all they can to set Jesus free, and they can't. Jesus ends up on the cross anyway. Why? Because he's in control. Because the authority that's in control is Jesus Christ at the time. And he lays his life down for you and me and for all mankind. See, when Pilate questions Jesus more, he becomes further convinced that Jesus is innocent and he's the king of the Jews. And Pilate believes this so strongly that he takes his private belief now and makes it a public one. And he places a sign above Jesus' head on the cross announcing that he is king of the Jews. In John 19, 19 to 22, it says this, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, here's what's important. Did Pilate need to make something and put it on the cross? No, he did not. It was not a requirement or a rule. He did not have to make a sign, but he did anyway. He made a sign. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. The sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Not only did Pilate make a sign that he didn't have to make, he made sure it was in the language of everybody who could read it and understand who was on the cross. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. See, here's what we see that's great about Pilate and great about us. Pilate gets a private encounter with Jesus Christ and he makes it a public one. And he says, I believe this man is the king of kings. Now, probably nobody more than Pilate, none of us will ever understand this except Pilate, that he tried as hard as he could to free this man and he couldn't because he knew he was not in control. Something bigger was happening here. And while he didn't like it, he at this point, even though he's a non-religious person, he understands that Jesus is a king. Now, as we close this morning, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you throughout this Holy Week to see Jesus in everything. I want to encourage you, even challenge you, implore you to make this week different because you're going to find all kinds of different people interacting with Easter this week. And there are going to be people that are spinning their own ideas about what Easter is. And some of these ideas don't make any sense whatsoever. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a common sense guy. So a six foot two rabbit that lays eggs doesn't make sense to me. But it's been spun in our head, hasn't it? It's been spun in our head. It's been spun in our culture. Why? So that people don't see Jesus. But all around you this week, people are going to be interacting with Jesus. Even though this Reese's Pieces has a corner on the market, people are still wondering, why do we celebrate Easter? What's Easter really about? 
And I want you to know that this week is a great opportunity for you to make the most of every opportunity placed before you. Because I believe the Holy Spirit will open doors for you and me to speak to friends and neighbors and coworkers about the true reason for Easter. About what really happened this week, 2,000 years ago. About how you and I get an opportunity to know our Heavenly Father, our Creator and our Sustainer of life. Because Jesus went to a cross for you and I and took care of the problem that was between us. So now you and I can have a great relationship with God because of Jesus. That's good news. And that's a way better reason to celebrate something this week. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray and go. Jesus, this morning we thank you so much that we have seen you as our king. We've seen in your word, we've seen practically that you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But Lord, it, it doesn't really come to fruition or become an understanding in our minds and our hearts until we acknowledge that until we say it privately and publicly, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's my king. I want Jesus to be my leader. I want Jesus to lead my life, and I'm going to submit to his goodness and his love and his grace and his acceptance all the days of my life. And when you've made that decision, that doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect. It's not at all. It just means you know your Savior. And He'll carry you through anything in this world. Anything this world can throw at you, He'll be right there with you. Some of us in this room, you might need to answer that question today or this week. I want to start with today. If you'd like to make Jesus your King, I want to give you an opportunity I'm just going to make it real simple. Just something that God can see. An action that you can do physically. If you want Jesus to be your king and you want to say yes to a relationship with Jesus, would you just raise your hand so God can see it right where you're at? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus raised your hand this morning, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, out of the Next Steps station, we just have a, I'd like to give you the gift of a Bible this morning. And if this is the first time you're making that decision, I want to encourage you to tell someone about it. Tell someone you know. Tell somebody, I made a decision to say yes to Jesus today, to make him my Savior and my Lord. For the rest of us, We've said Jesus is our king. Let's prove it this week. Let's prove this week to the world around us that Jesus is our king.
by the way we forgive and accept and love those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for coming to church this morning. It was good to see you. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.